go over those quizzes. You got quiz number 24 for today. Um, we're still on justification. I gave you the first one. Yep, it's a repeat from last time to see if we do a little bit better with it. In the scriptures, justification is spoken of two ways. What are they? Declared righteous. Declared righteous. And made righteous. And made righteous. Two ways, according to our, from a couple weeks back. Um, we often describe it in this way, but we said there are other ways in which the scriptures describe it. Because whenever you are declared righteous, God also converts you, regenerates you, you are born again, uh, uh, gives you a new nature. Um, it's not simply that, uh, and what we were going with last time, that you just have a little idle knowledge and there is no change. There is change uh, in you, and we're going to be pushing that forward today. Number two. Why couldn't the Jews bear to look at the face of of Moses. We reviewed the uh, section from 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians. Why couldn't they bear to look at the face of Moses? Was the face of the full law. They had to face the full law. What was the problem with that? They did not have full gospel. <laughs> they did not have uh perfect, and that's what the law requires. It requires that which is perfect. And so they couldn't bear to look at the face of Moses uh, because the law uh, requires uh, much more. For example, three, according to St. Paul, what is the veil which is removed when you believe in Christ? Human opinion? It is what? It is the human opinion, and what does the human opinion uh, bring to think about the law? That our works can fulfill it. They think that our works can fulfill it. I think I put up here on the uh, board, let's see, the veil. The human opinion that thinks that the external works satisfy God's law. That's our human opinion. We think, oh yeah, I've done it. Or it's just external civil works. Uh, we don't think that it requires that which is. Uh, and so the veil is removed, though, when we have been justified and have perfect righteousness in Christ. At that point, um, we can, as Paul said, with unveiled faces, uh, we receive the full law, and it shows us our sins. And we receive the full gospel, which comforts us in Christ, sets Christ against the wrath of God. And so uh, that is our situation. Number four, Matthew 7, 17 through 20, says this, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. What does this mean for the believer in Christ? You will produce good fruit. You will produce good fruit. 
This is not a question of, well, there's some Christians that do and some that don't. It's, it's a comfort to know that this is something that God does. He does produce, make us into a good tree, and you will produce good fruit. Even when we don't recognize it. Even when we don't recognize it. And we're going to, as we talk about good fruit today, I don't know how far I'll get, um, but we're definitely going to talk about not recognizing. We're also going to notice something else. Are you, now that you are in Christ, completely a good tree? You still have your original sin. So we have to recognize that this life of good works, love, is, is, is not perfect. Um, far from perfect. Um, and so we're going to see that, yes, uh, there is going to be that. And yet, that is not something that is going to be your master or your rule. You can say no to it when you have been led into temptation. You can confess it in weakness. Um, all of that. Well, these verses really are the reason why we can't use the good works to justify ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. Um, when we talk about uh, sanctification, that is the good works, we, we talk about they're a gift. God has given. Um, okay, so that gets us uh, caught up. Um, we need to move forward today with a couple things. Uh, we're going to start uh, the section. There is in the Article 4 of the Apology, which deals with justification. There's actually subsections that are included under that, and I'm sorry, this is just going to be difficult depending upon which version that you have, okay? If you have Tappert's version of the Book of Concord, probably the most common version, the numbering for the Apology 4 is going to go from the beginning, one, all the way to the end, and so it's going to be, you know, 400 or something paragraphs long. If you have the monoglot or the triglot, you have a, a kind of an older version, they're going to have subsections, and every time they get to a subsection, under Article 4 of the Apology, there is the third subsection called Of Love and Fulfilling of the Law, and that's the section we're moving to. They're going to start over with a new numbering system. That is why... Uh, when I showed you the uh, section dealing with 2 Corinthians 3 at the very bottom, I noted that Tappert has paragraphs 132 to 135 on this page, but the Triglot puts this in Article 4, subsection 3, paragraphs 12 through 14. So if, if you're starting to see a contradiction and I'm not giving you the exact numbers, that's what's going on. Um, we can resolve that in, in, in another time to make sure that, that you know that. All right, so we're moving on to the subsection under justification that deals with of love and the fulfilling of the law. To get out my overhead that goes with that. Let's read just a little bit. Be good to start with that. Here 
hear the adversaries urge against us, if thou wilt enter unto life, keep the commandments. Matthew 19.17 And likewise, the doers of the law shall be justified. Romans 2 verse 13 And many other like things concerning the law and works. Before we reply to this, we must first declare what we believe concerning love and the fulfilling of the law. It is written in the prophet Jeremiah 31-33, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. And in Romans 3.31, Paul says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And Christ says, Matthew 19.17, If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And likewise, 1 Corinthians 13.3, If I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So, as they're going to begin, they're going to say, listen, there's going to be a lot of passages that the Roman church is going to throw at us and say, no, 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 your teaching of justification is wrong. You need to trust in faith and works, faith and love. In fact, faith alone does not save, but it is the faith because it produces something else. They'll call it uh, the fides formata, a formed faith, They'll, all, all kinds of things of this sort. Um, the Lutherans say, yeah, we know they quote these. We'll get back to those later. Let's tell you what we teach concerning this uh, before we go any further so that we uh, have an understanding concerning that. Three, these and similar sentences testify that the law ought to be begun in us and be kept by us more and more. That is, that we are to keep the law when we have been justified by faith and thus increase more and more in the Spirit. Moreover, we speak not of ceremonies, but of the law, that law which gives commandment concerning the movements of the heart, namely the Decalogue. For because indeed faith brings the Holy Ghost and produces in hearts a new life, it is necessary that it should produce spiritual movements in the heart. And what these movements are, the prophet Jeremiah 31, 33 shows when he says, I will put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Therefore, we have been justified by faith and regenerated. So already we see they pull both those definitions of justification in. Uh, um, justified by faith is kind of declared righteous, and therefore we have been changed. We begin to fear and love God, to pray to him, to expect from him aid, to give thanks and praise to him, to obey him in afflictions. And so now they're going back and saying, you know, when we said that God does this, we're not talking about just external works. We're talking about the movements of the heart. And now they're listing these movements of the heart uh, that the Holy Spirit is, is working in us, uh, has put into our inward parts, has written it on our hearts. We begin also to love our neighbors because our hearts have spiritual and holy movements. That is, there is now, through the Spirit of Christ, a new heart, mind, and spirit within. Now, going back to uh, what we have before, I put over here kind of some outline notes. Um, what do we believe? 
Well, we do teach that the law is to be begun in us. We ought to start obeying the law. It is to be kept by us. In fact, more and more. We don't deny that. So often when we teach we're justified by grace through faith, apart from works, they go, oh, then, then you don't teach anything according to the law, or you don't believe in the law, or you don't, you know, we keep going, no, no, no. Oh, you tell your people to go and sin. I go, no. We tell them, yes, the law to be begun. In fact, we're going to talk about the true law, not just outward, but the law requires, the Ten Commandments require not just not stabbing your neighbor, but requires that you don't hate your neighbor, but that you love him. Not just that you don't leave your wife, but that you love her um, and don't lust after another with your eyes. Spiritual movements, movements of the heart, things like to fear and love God. This is why Luther, as he explains every commandment in the small catechism, we should fear and love God so that. It's not we should just do these things, but that there ought to be a inward change. That's what God requires to pray to him, to give thanks and praise him, to obey him in afflictions, to love our neighbor. It says, the Holy Spirit, which is received by faith, always comes uh, through the word, received by faith. He's the one that puts these affections of the heart. They are worked by the Holy Spirit into our hearts. So when we talked about those two definitions, we said we were given the Holy Spirit. He also works other things in us, love, thanksgiving, charity. Um, and again, as we go on, not just outward works. So... We do teach that these things should come forth, and we believe that they will. Questions? Comments? I have a comment. If okay, you please. What this, this, this is actually talking about when it talks about us being regenerated. The, the confessors with St. Paul are talking about what happened in the Garden of Eden. Before the fall, Adam and Eve had free will. They could do good and evil. After our regeneration, we have free will. We can do good and evil. So regeneration there means we have been restored back to what we were before the fall. And that's our new man. The old man is not that way. Adam and Eve did not have an old man until the fall. So often as I speak about, <clears throat> same kind of things, I speak about uh, um, the unregenerated man, the man without the new man, the old, old man, that's all you have. And so, and then I say he's got a bound will in spiritual matters, he can't do anything. And people go, well, what about these passages where, where it says, choose this day whom you will serve? And so I, I go, to the believer, of course. What can you do? You can continue in it, or you can reject it all and walk away. Um, that's 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 one of those passages. Um, Eric, um, can you explain your movements of the heart and affections of the heart? Are those different, the same? These things are all the same. Spiritual movements is the same thing as what's called the movements of the heart. It's the same thing as fear and love God. And what is that? That's these kind of things. Compared with the Holy Spirit, which you said the affections of the heart, he works those? The Holy Spirit works these in us. Okay. 
Um, he works, he changes us so that we actually do love God. So you have the passage that says, uh, the man without the spirit of God does not accept the things that come, you know, the unspiritual man doesn't accept the things that come from the spirit of God. Well, these are the things that come from the spirit of God, and we receive them, and they start to come forth in us more and more as the Holy Spirit continues to uh, uh, work, work with us. That gets us kind of through that first part. Uh, let's go on. Um, 11. But Christ was given for this purpose, namely that for his sake there might be bestowed upon us the remission of sins and the Holy Ghost. So once again, the Holy Spirit is received. He works these things. He also works other gifts in us. This is what comes along with your faith in Christ. You receive the Holy Spirit. So this idea, again, that faith is simply idle knowledge, we say, no, 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 there's a change, there's a conversion, there's the Holy Spirit, now there is uh, uh, new desires, a new heart, uh, something has uh, genuinely happened. 12 through 14 or so gets us through that section dealing with the veil from 2 Corinthians 3. Um, I did that ahead of time. Pastor Rune did a Bible study on that so that we can kind of see that ahead of time. Uh, this then begins to explain uh, what that is. So, what happens? Well, here's what we got. 2 Corinthians 3, we have the law, according to hypocrites, only requires civil works. They believe, ah, I did those outward external works God requires, therefore I'm justified the hypocrite says, I'm doing fine, I got it. That is the false human opinion. What happens? We know that the law actually requires perfect works, requires fear, love, and trust in God. Uh, that is a right view of the law. Um, according to that, uh, hypocrites should be then convicted by the law that they are judged, that there is condemnation uh, because of our sins. The only thing then that makes it so that we can stomach this is that the gospel presents to us Christ's merit and Christ's merit consoles us that this has been given to Christ, the judgment and condemnation, and will not be given to us. And so the gospel then presents his merit um, and thus with the power of Christ, only with this right view of law and gospel can we think rightly about God. Uh, we go to 18. There is a need of the power of Christ against the devil, namely that inasmuch as we know that for Christ's sake we are heard and have the promise that we may pray for the governance and defense of the Holy Ghost, that we may neither be deceived and err nor be impelled to undertake anything contrary to God's will. And so, a little later, for Christ has overcome the devil and has given us the promise in the Holy Ghost in order that by divine aid we ourselves also may overcome this condemnation that comes from the law. No, we've got that overcome through Christ. And so this is of, of comfort and, and great uh, consoling for us. Let's go on to paragraph 19. So, having said that, there's a lot of things, and, and, and this section of any section, um, you will find that there are so many questions that it brings up. 
well, then, if God works this in us, are we perfect? Well, no, no, we're not. Oh, well, then, if, you know, so we got to get to all of the kind of the questions that are brought up. 19, again, we teach not only how the law can be observed, but also how God is pleased if anything be done. Namely, not because we render satisfaction to the law, but because we are in Christ, as we shall say after a little. It is therefore manifest that we require good works. Hmm. Well, Lutherans say we require good works. We're very careful to say we don't require them to be justified. But once you're justified, well, of course we expect this to come. What does it say? God is pleased. But what is God pleased in? He is not pleased, as it says here, it's not because we render satisfaction to the law. The law says, I require a perfect mind, heart, soul, body, everything about this. Can we say, yep? Now that I'm a Christian, I did it? No, we cannot. Um, we try. We, we, and if anything be done, and, and, and there is stuff going on, actually fulfilling that uh, uh, fear, love, and trust in God, um, but why is God pleased that anything is done? He's pleased not because we have fulfilled the works, but because we are in Christ. Um, we're going to get to other passages along the way, but I mean, you can think of passages like Isaiah 64, uh, where it says, all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Well, according to the law, works of the law, yes, of course it is. But if there is anything that is done, and we do it because we love and are in Christ and freely, even that, the Lord says, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with that. Um, now, we must add to this, 20, it is impossible for love to God, even though it to be small, to be sundered from faith, separated from faith. You can never have a love that comes that's not connected to faith, because through Christ we come to the Father, and the remission of sins have been received, and we now are truly certain that we have a God. God cares for us, we call upon him, we give thanks, we fear him, we love him. As 1 John 4.19 teach, we love him because he first loved us. Namely, because he gave his son for us and forgave us our sins. Thus, he indicates that faith always proceeds and love follows. So don't disconnect these. One has to come from the other. But the next thing we need to know, that faith always exists. That faith that we're talking about that produces love and any little thing. This faith of which we speak exists in repentance. That is, it is conceived in the terrors of the conscience, which feels the wrath of God against our sin, seeks remission of sins to be freed from sin, and such terrors and other afflictions. In the midst of this, this faith ought to grow and be strengthened. Therefore, or wherefore, it, that would be these sins, cannot exist in those, or this uh, true life, this good works, this love, cannot exist in those who live according to the flesh. So this true faith always exists in the knowledge of the law and of our sin, and then faith 
ought to grow and be strengthened by the forgiveness that it has. And so it is through this long gospel, through this repentance and belief, through sorrow over sin and trust in Christ, uh, that uh, the effects of this is none other than uh, love, which flows out of it. Uh, love, then, is a work of the Holy Spirit. Love fulfills the law, and thus is that uh, righteousness. And as it says here, if you don't have faith, you cannot love. If you don't have faith, you can't do anything that is of, pleasing, uh, of a pleasing nature to God. Hebrews says, without faith, no one can please uh, God. Wherefore, the faith which receives remission of sins and a heart purified and fleeing from sin does not remain in those who obey their desires, neither does it coexist with mortal sins. So going back to that before where we had talked about we're saved by faith and faith alone, and the Roman church said, well, faith can exist with mortal sin, therefore it can't save. And we go, not the faith we're talking about. The faith that the scriptures talk about cannot exist with mortal sin. Um, those who have faith will not live in. Now, I'm not saying they won't sin. They won't be led into temptation. They won't in weakness fall away. They won't do things that bother them greatly. But the faith which receives this, it doesn't coexist. It doesn't live from that sin. Questions? Um, going on then, uh, from these effects of faith, that is, from the, what comes forth out of faith, they say, you know, the adversaries pick namely one of these. They pick love. There are many other gifts. There are many things that proceed from this. Um, and uh, they proclaim that uh, this love is the thing that is the cause of our salvation. Um, they teach only the law, it says, because when they teach that love justifies, they do not teach that remission of sins through faith is first received. They do not teach of Christ as mediator, that for Christ's sake we have a gracious God, but that we have a gracious God because of our love. And yet, what the nature of this love is, they do not say, neither can they say. They proclaim that they fulfill the law, though this glory belongs properly to Christ. And they say, they set against the judgment of God confidence in their own works. Um, and so we're going back to this meriting. Whenever you trust in the effects of faith, the love, what have you done? You're teaching salvation by the law and by works. Um, here's what the Lutherans say. For in this life, what do we know? We cannot satisfy the law. We cannot it we cannot say all right it's done i kept it and and i just don't mean like the entire life i mean at any point of our life i mean give me a 60 second period of time and you could say well at least i was good during that point no no no, no. we cannot satisfy the law because why the carnal nature does not cease to bring forth wicked dispositions um evil inclinations desires even though in the christian the spirit in us resists them, fights against that. Um, so what do the Lutherans teach? Well, we teach that love is a work of the Holy Spirit, and where that comes forth, it is righteousness. Um, because, in part, it fills the law. 
um, love is a fulfillment of the law. But we do not teach that it justifies. That is the point. Uh, we are justified by uh, for Christ's sake, by faith alone. Faith is the cause. Love is the effect. Questions? Yeah. Um, maybe I can just make a comment just to spin okay. back what you said. Um, so the scriptures speak kind of two different ways about the work of a believer. And, and on the one hand, it'll, it says their works are like filthy rags, they're, they're rooted with sin, and then they also speak that they are, because they're in Christ, God is pleased with them. Um, now, the scriptures aren't saying that God is double-minded, that he sees our work as both rooted, that, that he looks at us and he judges us because of our sin and also is saying that, hey, look at what you're doing. And that's because the Christians are not judged according to the law, they're judged according to grace, right? So, so when the scriptures say our, our sins are, are like filthy rags, that's almost a, a hypothetical situation. God is not actually looking at us and saying your, your sins are filthy rags because he's judging us according to the judgment of grace. Is that right? So, when we have the judgment of the law apart from Christ, that's the judgment, <coughs> filthy rags. Um, that's all. In fact, even for you know the believer, if you look at the believer with only the law, even our righteousnesses, nevertheless, we don't live just in the law. In fact, Paul goes on to say, you used to live in the law, now you live in grace. And so what do we say? We have the law and the gospel, the gospel which trumps the law, the gospel which answers the law, fulfills it. The, the, the terrible 100% uh, requirements of the law are fully and 100% met in Christ. Wow. You know, so we say, aha, the law is completely satisfied in that by, by what Jesus has done and through faith. And so at that point we say, absolutely, I am saved. Right. Nevertheless, then we go on, as a believer who has now been given the Holy Spirit, whatever, do I start to do things that works? Yeah, I should, of course I do. Um, because I'm a justified believer in Christ, we're going to talk about how God is pleased. Now, why is he pleased? That, I mean, that always kind of gets you to the question, you know, is it pleased because the believer can be perfect? No, not, not at all. We are, he is pleased for some other reason, I'm going to go through, actually, um, uh, points. This is my very first point I'm going to get to with 31, in which I'm going to deal with uh, kind of answers to, just like you said, what about this? You know, seems to be kind of a paradox, maybe even seems that God is double-minded. Not so. Not so. In, in, in Christ, you know, this, this is a different story. It also has to do with what is love? And how far and what do we do with this? So, is that yep. good enough to start? If I don't unravel the whole thing, let me know. Let me give Eric and turn and Pastor. Um, you have to be careful, mostly with those questions, Jason, because this isn't something where we're trying to outsmart God and figure out a way that we can please him using his system and figure out, like, how can we make our works good so he's not looking at them. It's not that. It's He is all-knowing. He does see all that. It's not a, 
it's not a challenge to try and figure out how we can use Jesus to make our works good and please him. It's, um, interesting. I, I, I'll give you an example, though. And I, and I think this, is, this, this highlights the difference between the Roman system and the scriptural system. Um, with all of the churches moving a lot of things to online and having services, and then you can watch it online, I saw a post where someone said, you know, we really ought to be happy about them moving all this stuff online because you can uh, mute the pastor when, you know, you don't want to, and you can, and it kind of went through like five different things, and, and I thought, now that is fascinating. You know, all of a sudden, what is that? You know, well, is that faith talking? Is that true faith? You know, no, that's this kind of, how can I get around, you know, oh, does God just want me to go to church? Fine, I'll go to church while I'm sitting there. I'll balance my checkbook, and God's happy, and now I actually got something done because I didn't really want to be here anyway. You know, no, what are we talking about? We're talking about the true fulfilling of the law, which actually results in, I got a new heart. I'm not trying to get around things at all. I got a new heart that wants to love God. How can I do this? So, yeah, it, it highlights the difference between these two. Karin? Um, I was going to say that it strikes me as so amazing that the thing that pleases God the most is when we confess our sins. Because we have this feeling like, i got to speak that sin out loud. And that's not pleasing to God. And yet, it pleases Him because I'm confessing it and I'm trusting in Him. And that is like, then all of a sudden becomes a good thing. And it doesn't make sense to our mind. Right, so the new Adam in you is leading you to confess against the old Adam in you. And God goes, great, I love that. Yeah. You know, it's no different from you fighting against the devil or fighting against the world. Now you, by your confession, sometimes even fight against... But I can remember that as, you know, parents of young children, when they would finally, like, break down and, and say, yes, I did that. Then as a parent, you're like, oh, good. <laughs> they, they realize that, you know, and there's that joy in, in watching your your children um, grab onto forgiveness. Pastor? The thing that our human nature fights against more than anything else is realizing that when the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts, we are justified and sanctified. Because, because one, thing, one thing we can never forget as human beings is that we continually live in sin continually declared righteous by Christ through faith. And those two things always exist in our in our lives here on earth. And we can't change that. And that's very frustrating to our old sinful nature because it has to not only fight it fight for what it wants to do, but it also has to fight against the fact that our new nature has freedom. Absolutely. Um, good. Looks like I'm going to be able to get through uh, most of my points unless we bog down just a little bit. Um, as it goes through, teaching faith is the cause. Love is the effect. As it goes on here, it lets us know we need to be careful. Although we teach that love follows, uh, that we don't look to that. Faith looks to the promise alone. And notice that for this reason, it must be regarded as certain that God 
forgives. We don't look to our love. We do not receive remission of sins through love, through other virtues of the law, or on account of them. Namely, let's list some of those. You're not saved because you have patience, chastity, obedience towards magistrates, etc., whatever it is. Nevertheless, we do teach these virtues ought to follow. <clears throat> so, too, we do not receive remission of sins because of love to God, although it is necessary that it should follow, and it, it actually will. Um, and so, as we deal with this, we have to deal with um, what is a cause and what is an effect, uh, lest we might turn from the gospel back to the law. And so, uh, as we go forward, uh, paragraph 31. Number one, I've already dealt with, faith is the cause and love is the effect. Number two, we will see here as we go that, uh, uh, that no one can keep the law. What about this? Well, let's go through. Um, as it talks about, uh, I'm skip over the part with the woman and I'm going to come back to that part next time. Um, to the objection which we have above stated where it says why doesn't love justify uh, before God the adversaries are right in thinking that love is the fulfilling of the law and they're right in saying that obedience to the law is certainly righteousness <laughs> therefore it would be true that love justifies us if we could keep the law but who in truth can say you boast can boast that he keeps the law and loves God as the law is commanded. For we have shown above that God has made the promise of grace because we cannot observe the law. And so, though they got it right that love is the fulfillment of the law, they make a mistake in this, thinking that we can keep the law and thinking that therefore we are justified by the law goes on, the adversaries have to fail at this point and miss the main issue, for in this business they only behold the law, for all men's reason and wisdom cannot but hold that we must become pious by the law, that a person externally observing the law is holy and pious. It is but the gospel faces us about, directs us away from the law to the divine promises, and teaches that we are not justified by that law. Since, however, we're not justified the law, no one can keep it. We receive remission of sins and reconciliation by faith for Christ's sake. So, point two. Um, no one can keep the law. If we could keep it, I guess love could justify, but then you wouldn't need Christ. No one loves God as the law commands. Furthermore, it's true that no Christian does it. Ooh. Again, this fulfilling of the law, or obedience to the law, is indeed righteousness, when it is complete. But in us, and note this, it is small <laughs> and impure. For although they have received the first fruits of the Spirit, and the new, yea, the internal, eternal life has begun in them, there still remains our sinful nature, a remnant of sin and evil lust, and the law still finds much of which it must accuse us. 
Accordingly, it is not pleasing for its own sake and is not accepted for its own sake. But although from those things which have been said above, it is evident that justification signifies not the beginning of the renewal, but the reconciliation. So it's not that faith is only the beginning, that's the Roman church says, and then by love you can finally reconcile yourself to God and work it all out. When you receive faith, you are completely reconciled to God. What follows out after that uh, is simply the fruits of that faith, um, by which also we afterwards are accepted. Um, anyway, as it goes on, nevertheless, it can now be seen much more clearly that the inchoate fulfilling of the law does not justify because it is accepted only on account of faith. That's what the uh, Roman church said. So, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to see that uh, believers, they're keeping the law small and impure. Sure, we start to keep the law. It's a beginning. The inchoate means it's, it's, it's in its infancy. It's starting to. It's beginning to. Um, but that above itself does not uh, justify us. In fact, not even the greatest saints are able to. Uh, no one can. Um, give yourself a long time of, of keeping the laws we said more and more. It's still going to be small and impure. Um, uh, the great, the saints have guilt; they have sinned. It is only pure mercy then uh, that saves us. Here he clearly shows that all the saints, all the pious children of God who have the Holy Ghost, if God would not by grace forgive them their sin, still have remnants of sin in the heart. So that works cannot make the heart content and at peace with God uh, concerning his judgment and his wrath. Um, going on to say, I mean, passage after passage, John 1 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. In the Lord's Prayer, the saints ask for the forgiveness of sins. Um, it, it shows that uh, all of us, Karn, uh, as you said, what happens? He loves it when we confess our sins. That is a part of the new life that we live. Forty-one. Third place, because Christ does not cease to be mediator after we have been renewed. They err who imagine that he, Christ, has only merited a first grace, and then after that we please God and merit eternal life by our fulfilling of the law. No, the Lutherans say, Christ remains mediator, and we ought always to be confident that for his sake we have a reconciled God, even though we are unworthy. Number three, he doesn't cease to be mediator. It's not like he did something at the beginning and we're left with the rest of it. He is to be the mediator always and throughout our life so that we're always fear, love, and trusting in his mediation. In fact, as I talked about earlier with the law, or as you said, with this law and gospel, we always are recurring to the promise. We're always going back to the promise where the law is always uh, showing my sins. Uh, let's see if I can get to... But this remission is always received by faith. Likewise, the imputation of Christ, the righteousness of the gospel, is from the promise. Therefore, it is always received by faith, 
and it always must be regarded as certain that by faith we are for Christ's sake accounted righteous. If the regenerate ought afterward to think that they will be accepted on account of the fulfilling of the law, when would conscience be certain that it pleased God, since we never satisfy the law? Accordingly, we must always recur to the promise. We are always going back to this. We never leave it behind. Um, this is, I, obviously speaking about the Roman church, but I find this not only in the Roman church, but in many of the uh, reformed churches in which, you know, of course, you confess your sins, then they have their altar call, and you have to accept Jesus, and after you're done with that little thing with Jesus, the rest of the sermons, the rest of the Bible studies, the rest of the life of the church is all directed towards good works. Now, even if you don't say, you know, okay, we're done with that, it sure seems like that's what's exact happening. There is not the confession, that's the, there is not the continual gospel, there is not the uh, return to that. Um, and so, no, we must uh, hold on to Christ again and again and again and continue in that. Ben? So in the Roman church, they say that you can have faith and be in mortal sin. Right? That's what they say. What do they say God will do about that? Will God send that person to hell? Yes. Okay. That's exactly what they say. Unless you make use of that faith and start doing works of love. Okay. Faith alone doesn't save. That's what they say. Okay. Well, but yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering. Like, would, would they say, well, you wouldn't go to hell, but you'd be in purgatory a really long time? Um, or would it, or would, no, it, you have faith, but it's not enough. You still go to hell. Uh, they would say that faith alone is not enough. In fact, Explicitly, Council of Trent, and that has, you know, is continued to this day. Says, you know, you're to be condemned, or let him be eternally damned. Who says this is because it's not. Now, when they talk about purgatory, they've not. They've done some works of love. They've done some good works, but not enough to take care of the actual sins that they did after they were saved. So, if you have faith and you do one good work. Then you make it into purgatory. Then you get to purgatory. You might have to suffer millions of years. But faith in no good works. Doesn't save. Yeah. Kind of crazy. <clears throat> Next part. 45. Fourth place. If we were to think that after we have come to the gospel and are born again, we were to merit by our works that God be gracious to us, not by faith, the conscience would never find rest. Um, but would be driven to despair. Um, and so here's where I speak about over here with this number four. You know, if the believer even trusted in that, um, there would be nothing but despair. This encode, it's just begun, it's rudimentary, it's not fully formed, it's not why. Because it doesn't satisfy the law. 48 goes on to tell us that in addition to that, more than blind are those who do not perceive that the wicked desires in the flesh are actually sins. We've got a sinful nature, and it is terrible, of which Paul says the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. That's what's going on inside of you. The flesh distrusts God, trusts in present things, seeks human aid in calamities, even contrary to God's will, flees from afflictions which it ought to bear because of God's commands, doubts concerning God's mercy. The Holy Ghost in our hearts 
was given to us in justification, contends with such dispositions, that is, with Adam's sin, in order to suppress and kill them, mortify them, mortify this poison of the old Adam, this desperately wicked disposition, and to produce new spiritual movements in us. So we do have wicked desires. Um, if we are going to trust in our sanctification, if we're going to trust in our love, if we're going to trust in our good works, we will always be in doubt. Why? Because of these wicked desires. Um, we need to know that God is pleased with our good works simply on account of faith. You take away the faith, and there is none. Even when faith produces it, there is still in you these others. There is an imperfection in fulfilling. Um, uh, but this imperfection is not reckoned to us because we believe in Christ. Um, are our good works as filthy rags? They still are. And yet God says, I'm not going to count those against you. Christ has removed the right of the law to condemn us. Though we have not actually kept the law perfectly. You have a similar thing, Jacob, with the words judgment in the scriptures. It says at times it says that believers will not be judged, and then at other times it says we'll all be judged before Christ. Well, we're not going to be judged because the right of the law to condemn us, we're now in Christ, we're in grace. So it will not condemn us. Will we be judged at the end? Yes, according to the gospel, we'll be judged to be righteous. In, yes, we'll be righteous in Christ. How righteous? Well, he was 100%, so you are too. You know, he doesn't say, Jacob, you're kind of a saint. He says, no, no, you're a saint. So, exactly. Um, questions? Next time, I'm going to begin with a Bible passage. I'm going to begin with uh, a section that deals with, didn't know if I'd get to it today, I'm going to deal with a section that is in Luke 7, 36 through 46. Um, we're going to deal with this self-righteous Pharisee and the sinful woman who is there. It's actually included in your uh, Book of Concord. This is one of those passages that it takes and explains a whole lot more about it. It's in Taproot paragraphs 152 to 155, um, as well as in the Triglotta, the third subsection, uh, 31 to 34. Um, what do we have? Um, it's, we have a passage in which Jesus says, Her sins which are many are forgiven because she loved much. <gasps> see, it's her love that made her forgiven. We'll see. That's not what it's saying. In fact, Jesus makes it quite clear in that particular passage. So we'll come back to that next time. Anything else before we conclude? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we trust in what your Son has done. And because of that, uh, our heart is at peace. Uh, and we have the comfort and the hope of eternal life. But we ask, dear Lord, that you might continue to move in our hearts. Give us a new heart, a new spirit, uh, that we might uh, love you uh, and love our neighbor. That it actually might result in external works, but make them always come uh, from the faith that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.